I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So, how were your last couple days of school? Oh, chaotic. Chaotic. It always is. Yeah, because it's, you know... The, the anticipation of not having to come back to school for two weeks really settles in for them. And then they're like, what's the point of anything we're learning this week? Because we're going to have to relearn all of it when we come back. Like, high school the week before Christmas is uh, is a wild west. No, I understand that. We, we were having a little bit of that last week in third grade. Uh, and uh, But not much. Actually, they... It's been really awesome. The nice. school, the, it was really nice at school, and kids have been doing great. And also, I got to just say, it has been wonderful to, like, I've been able to pass four days. I did holiday camps again. Oh, nice. And so I was just playing with the kids. And yeah. Just, like, so the, like, 10 minutes before my shift, it ended yesterday. I had 10 minutes left. And I could have just sat, not sat, but, like, stand. Because I'm not lazy. Sure. I stand. <laughs> I stand. Um, so I was. I could have just been in the room, maybe just like kind of let those ten minutes go by, and that's that, right? Then one or two students came over. I'm like, "Are we going to go outside again?" And it was really cold yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when I I was like, "Okay, what are we doing here?" Okay, let's do it. And I said that to myself mentally. I was like. I can take you out for five minutes. Let's go outside. And I took just three kids, just three kids. We went outside, went to the playground, played Lava Monster. I did a couple tricks for them, showed them my parkour moves. Extreme parkour, parkour. Which <laughs> it, it's it's not as impressive as I'm making it sound, but not as lame as you are all thinking. So it's a happy <laughs> medium of reality there. Um, but. I uh, and I just we were there for five minutes, walking down, walk them back up, and we went back inside. And I was then walking away, rested, ready to move on from the school for holiday break, just as I am rested and ready to move on from a Christmas carol, <laughs> Mister John Newman. How you doing, buddy? I am. I am excellent, James, and I am very excited because today we are we are getting into what has to be 
the most requested version of A Christmas Carol here on Jacob Marley's Dead, a podcast where we talk about our lives in the holiday season, but also uh, talk about A Christmas Carol. I am your host, John. And I'm his sidekick, uh, Jimmy. And yes, we have had dozens, if not dozens, of requests for this episode. Uh, ooh. When I say that literally this is the this is the version of A Christmas Carol that every single person who I have ever told about this podcast has asked me if we've covered. Like, it's the first thing out of anyone's mouth. Have you done The Muppet Christmas Carol? This is A Christmas Carol for a generation. From, yeah. For millennials, for young, for, for for elder and younger millennials, this is for a lot of people their Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, we had we hadn't get into it, but like this, is like the Jim Carrey one and stuff like that. For a lot of people, like in the tens, like this is a big. I don't think deal. the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol is anybody's like their version of Christmas yeah, Carol. <laughs> we'll, we'll let that one slide because I'm sure there are a few people here saying what, but yeah, you know, yeah. like, but this is a big one. This one is a. This is a touchstone. This is a moment in the history of A Christmas Carol. There's before and after A Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm also going to um I'm going to I'm going to drop my spicy hot take here and say that it is a version that benefits from nostalgia somewhat. And I'm going to be standing here with the shield of accuracy <laughs> to ba- back your argument of nostalgia by saying that this is one of the best versions of a christmas carol and i would say it's while it's not the version of a christmas carol as the same way mickey mouse's christmas mm-hmm. carol couldn't be the mm-hmm. definitive version of a christmas carol what it is attempting to do it does better than any other version i've seen trying to attempt to do it yeah i can give you that i'm sure we'll talk about that as we get through it so Ooh, oh this is so so we're going on one where we're swinging okay all right yeah. This is, oh this yeah is, listen all right listen Listen, this is a this film is like a sacred cow for people. This is a this is a this is a like one of those kind of untouchable movies that like literally everyone I've ever talked to about it loves and I'm like I'm willing to get my hands a little bit dirty on this one. We oh. we can dig in a little bit and talk about some things. And look, no movie is flawless. No movie, you know, sure. is perfect, but I would say that I think what this does well and what does right it does really, really well. Like, yes. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So this is, uh, like we said, The Muppet Christmas Carol. It premiered in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the first for a lot of things. It is the first uh, Disney-backed Muppet film. Yep. Okay? This is before they actually, like, buy Jim Henson Studios, right? But they, yep. they, they produce it. Um, it's there the was- first Brian Henson directed Muppet film after his father's death in 1990, yeah. um, which means it's also Steve Whitmire's first um, film appearance voicing Kermit the Frog. We'll have more to talk about that in a little bit. I'm, mm-hmm. not gonna le- I'm just going to leave it at that and we'll yeah. move on. Yeah. Um, so originally this idea was kind of it was brought to Brian Henson as a possibility for like a way to move um, the franchise forward. Um, they pitched it to ABC originally as a TV movie. And once the script was brought in, Disney actually looked at it and was like, Hey, we can buy this as a theatrical release if you want. Like, there's no reason why this should just be on TV. Um, 
I think it's an accurate assessment of the script. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, this this has enough weight. There's enough meat on the bone here to get a movie out of this. Yeah, I would I, also say like it's probably the best of the '90s Muppet movies. Well, this was a hit. I don't know if yeah. in theaters it was a hit, but it definitely was a hit on VHS. Yeah, and that started the trend that then went into Muppets uh, uh, Treasure Island, mm-hmm, and then eventually, mm-hmm. like I think the last one was like. Muppet Wizard of Oz was like the dumpster fire finale of this. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Muppets in Space was in the middle there somewhere. Muppets in Space was, if again, I haven't looked at the data, but just as a kid, while Muppets Treasure Island has its fans, it wasn't as big as this. So Mm -hmm. they were like, okay, Muppets are big, but maybe it was just, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe Muppet classic literature was like a flash in the pan, not necessarily something we continue. So let's try just a straight up Muppet movie, which, John, I don't know what format we can review Muppets from Space, but can we review Muppets from Space? Because I got some things to say about that movie. Yeah, that's a wild movie. Um, Oh, 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 that's when this was released it 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 had like a an okay performance at the box office i think it it uh, like eventually it opened at like 5 million and eventually was like 23 million something like that um it was released up against both home alone 2 and aladdin so it 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 was not necessarily in the best position to do super well Wait, in the box office. Why would Disney do that? That's cutting off your nose despite your face. Like, yeah. Space yeah. these things out. Like, when? Wow. Okay. And 92 yeah. was also Batman Returns, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, there was a lot of, like, Christmas themed stuff. And, like, that's a lot. Yeah. There's, it was a, it was one of those times, like, when, like, the Die Hard thing, when there's like, a lot of movies about Christmas when it's not about Christmas. Right. We're not getting into that conversation. You're basic. It's not that original. Anyway, yeah. I do think Disney expected this to perform better than it did, but it overall, like, wasn't a disappointment. Um, review wise, it, it, it seems like reviews are pretty mixed. Like, it, there's very few places where it got, like, the five star out of five star. This is, like, perfect review, which is surprising given, I think, the the public reception. But then I think that oftentimes critical reception and public reception are not necessarily always in alignment. It's also probably, it's not Jim Henson. It's not real Muppets. I mean, don't forget he had just passed away a a year, a a little bit before this. So there was probably like, this isn't the real thing. And the purists out there have a loud voice sometimes. And so be it. It's possible. It's possible. I think publicly it was received pretty well. So I'm just um, saying from the critics for the critics would have been like, like this isn't what Jim Henson would have done. He would have never done this. And it's like, which is weird because it's like all the same people who work with jim henson and it's jim henson's son and it's like the same guy that wrote rainbow connection wrote all the music in this movie like right it's it could it aside from jim henson not being there it's the most jim henson thing ever we'll get into this but in a lot of ways i feel like this is one last hurrah like like let's do this one for jim it's it is the transition i think between like the classic Mm -hmm. muppet films and like the 90s era Muppet films like we were talking about, right? It's, it is that that kind of changeover from one thing to the other. Right. And it's and it's done very well, and we'll get into it more in a second, yeah. but you got names like Frank Oz and a lot of the original puppeteers oh, here. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not like everybody left. Right, no, exactly. The, the crew's still together. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, what's your favorite Muppet film? Um, my favorite Muppet film is Muppets Take Manhattan. 
That's um, a good one. Yeah, this, that's real good. This is up there. I mean, it's neck and neck with this. Uh, yeah. This is one of my favorite Muppet movies. But Muppet Take Manhattan I saw first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just – it's – in my mind, it's like the perfect setting for the Muppets. The Muppets. The Muppets are not even the Muppets. Anyway, uh, the Muppets, it's – um, what's great about it is it's New York. Right. right? It's the mm-hmm. best Manhattan movie. Like it's like, yeah, it's very good. Like yeah. Jason doesn't even do, go really to Manhattan that much, <laughs> and Jason takes Manhattan. Like Hercules, it's not even Arnold's voice in some versions. Like this is the best. That's the best Muppets in a setting movie. I love the 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 through line of the Muppet movie. Right, is like origin story, and then the Muppet show. Right. You can imagine as like a continuation from there. Right. They do the show. And then like Muppets Take Manhattan is sort of like the the ending of that. And it's like a nice like sort of series in that way, the way it all interconnects. Um, And then my favorite Muppet movies in the middle of that, which is The Great Muppet Caper. I, I love The Great Muppet Caper. I got to give The Great Muppet Caper a second chance. I didn't like it as much as a kid. I didn't like the Miss Piggy's arc in that one as much. Mm-hmm. I felt like. I don't know. I like her at the end of that movie. I mean, look, there are some great, like, Muppet bits in that movie. Um, the pairing of Gonzo, uh, Fozzie, and Kermit as, like, this, like, little reporter team. It's. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's Goofy, Mickey, and Donald right there and there. Like, that's I think great. watching it now as, like, a send up of the sort of, like, 70s era, like, spy thrillers, right? Right? Like, the kind of stuff that Michael Caine was in, right? Um, <laughs> he would have had a cameo in that that's, one, actually. That's, I think, the thing that really sells it for me. And then I think that movie has, like, all of my favorite Muppet cameos. Like, the Peter Falk cameo, mm. where he's, like, the weird hobo that tries to sell Kermit a watch and has this like really long like non sequitur <laughs> monologue there's the um the john cleese uh <laughs> yeah one where they're like having dinner and talking about the pig climbing up the outside like i think it's just like a fun movie i think it's a little offbeat as well for muppets i my favorite cameo while we're on cameos is in muppets take manhattan when Gonzo goes to the mayor of New York at the time and it's like, have you seen a frog? And he's like, if you can balance the budget, I'll hire him. (laughs) That's a great, like, like, like even if you don't know who that is when you're a little kid, you get a mayor, you kind of get what that goes for. The best cameos I find are the ones that if you're in on it, you laugh. If you don't know who they are, it's still funny. It's very interesting. I mean, we'll get into this with this movie because we need to, I guess, transition back. How few cameos. There really aren't any cameos in this. No, this this movie, and we'll, we can go into it as soon as we start, but it balances a certain tone. Yeah. And that tone has wiggle room. And it can yeah. do very Muppety things, either left or right of where we're trying to go for it. But it can't sway too far one way. Yeah. And I think... That would be Muppets can have cameos in this, yeah. not humans. And yeah, we'll get into that. It's interesting how how that's done. And so that brings us around to like the only big name in this movie, which is, of course, Michael Caine, who plays Scrooge. Um, interesting facts. So there are there were several other people that were considered for the role before they gave it to Michael Caine. One of them was Ron Moody, who played Fagin in Oliver. Okay, yeah, I can see that. That I was mean, someone. There were a couple other like British character actors that were considered. George Carlin was was in the running. Like he was a late favorite to play the role. Shiny Time Station. George Carlin was yeah. in the running. 
Yeah, yeah. Would have been interesting, right? I mean, I feel like he would play a very interesting take on Scrooge. But see, that is in keeping with more of a Muppet choice. Yeah. If they went with Carlin, he would have been been Scrooge in a 70s Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. That, Mm -hmm. yeah, that, if they were casting carols back then, that's what they would have done. The other one that I thought was really interesting, given the episode we just did, they were thinking about David Warner. Yeah, I could see Which David would have been a fun it. like tie yeah. for him to go from being Bob Cratchit to being Scrooge. Like yeah. there was a part of me that was almost like I I really would have liked to see that actually. Now, what's interesting about Michael Caine being cast as Scrooge, that means that we have now seen 3 of the 4 film Alfreds appear in a Christmas Carol, right? Because we've had Andy Serkis, who's going to be Alfred in in the Batman. We've we now have Michael Caine, and um, we had what's his face from from uh, the original ones as one of the charity collectors. So they've all appeared in like different roles. But I was just like, oh, that's funny. That's like a weird little coincidence. And Jeremy Irons got to be in one of these somewhere. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, right? I started racking my brain. Like, has Jeremy Irons been in a Christmas Carol anywhere? Uh, well, that that that's another question for another day because today. We are here yeah. to talk about one of the biggest there is, a Muppet yeah. Christmas Carol. Yeah. Um, so why don't we get into it, James? Let's do it, boss. This is Jacob Marley is Dead, and we are finally talking about <laughs> the Muppet Christmas Carol. was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And one was in those ships, all three. On Christmas Day in the morning. So we we open with this really, really great model shot of the roofs of London. Backing up, because, yeah, I this is the most notes I ever took for one of these, just letting you know. <laughs> I have a note. A six hour long episode. <laughs> I have a note per minute, so we're good. Um, perfect font. The font, oh, yeah. the, the lettering mm, for this. Yeah. That it's a really beautiful logo. Which which appears over the model shot mm-hmm. is just perfect. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what's called. Pro- it's wonderful. It's what you would. That's what I think of when I see a Christmas Carol. My head is the font for this movie. Yeah, I think production design is not something you're ever going to be able to take fault with in a Muppets movie. That's kind of their whole shtick, right? Is like right. they're just the the elegant detail of their of their everything. Design. Everything feels right for this universe to live in this universe. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, and it, some stuff might, again, bend one way or the other, but it, it, they keep it consistent and they don't break. Right. Um, this is, uh, uh, there's like a kind of in memory of Jim Henson uh, mm. here. And I believe there was another Muppet performer who I, I feel bad because I didn't write his name down, but um, the, Jim Henson. And then there was another um, kind of famous Muppet associate who who had yeah. passed away. And this film was dedicated to both of them. But I think it just gets in memory of, of Jim Henson at the beginning. Yeah. If well, I remember correctly, this is the first again, they did the special, maybe a few things here and there, but this mm-hmm. is the first big thing. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is just for a little context before we get into it this is a disney movie right yeah disney was just about to do a big partnership with the muppets right before jim's death mm-hmm. it was they actually had a whole television special the muppets in the parks and where they were like acting like all four parks were like one park or something like that it was weird and they sneak in and they're getting around into trouble like this is like they were all ramped up ready to do a lot of stuff and then jim passed away so there's all this creativity, I feel like, and all this energy, 
and I feel like it's like, like th- that's why like there's it's so like the intro to this movie and the credits and the tone is so somber mm-hmm. and yet strong. Yeah, they really don't rush into anything. It's like a long shot over these these roofs that they built in this studio in England. I love um, the I love the Kermit the Frog laser logo. Oh yeah, that's a classic. I, I don't think was that used in Muppets uh, Treasure Island. Yes. So that that was a, kind of like a like a nineties Muppets thing, if I remember correctly. So there's a sound in there that reminds me of the if you've ever ridden the Muppets ride in uh, Hollywood Studios in Disney, mm-hmm. there is this ride that has this like three D CGI like side character who's annoying everybody in it. I swear that's the sound of the the bzzz, when they're lasering out the thing and it slips away. It's entirely possible. That's like a little. A I think it's like the, maybe the egg. Disney Henson like we're working together logo. I like it. Yeah. Um, so we get um, uh, Gonzo uh, in this has been cast in the role of Charles Dickens and they give him uh, Rizzo as uh, his sidekick. And I, I could be wrong because I know like Rizzo kind of has like uh, like a minor appearance in The Great Muppet Caper. Is he more featured in The Muppets Take Manhattan? He I mean, yeah, he I think he was a hit in um, Great Muppet Caper. And so the entire like mid to th- second act of uh, Muppets Take Manhattan is set in a diner with right. Kermit. And right. the rats work in the kitchen and right. they help out. And that's uh, this, the whole part of Muppets Take Manhattan is they meet more Muppets that get into the musical at the end. Right. right. So, yeah, he's in that one a lot. And um, but this he, is, I think, his first like big, big, big feature where he's like a main player. Right. Uh, yeah. Yes. He's like this is the this is like he's titled because from this point forward, he's a thing like Rizzo oh, is, a, yeah. is, a, is a mainstay. Muppets Tonight would be the 95 like new Muppet show that would come yeah. out after this. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the big hosts of that show. So like right. Gonzo was big. Gonzo and Rizzo were a big two man act. Yeah. In the 90s Muppets material. Yeah, because that was like a big in the in the Treasure Island. They were like the sidekicks to Jim Hawkins. The, and and, I, and that, this is why. Because the, here, as our narrators for this movie, and the POV for the children as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are amazing. Let's just, yeah. the work they do in this as the yeah, two great. different Muppets are amazing. Yeah. And so, going yeah. back to real quick, sorry, back to the model. All one shot, a pan yeah. down mm-hmm. over the model, and it's one shot consistently until we transition to a London street and get Gonzo. And yeah, and you just get this like eyeful of like this Muppet marketplace. It's really good. So um, the whole thing is that like Gonzo and Rizzo are going to be kind of following the characters around, narrating the story, adding elements from like the the original text and also some like kind of original narration lines, which I think is like in most places really helpful in sort of adding to our understanding of like what the characters are going through. They also break up some of the, like it's just Scrooge alone and there's not much funny going on, right? There's not much like Muppet stuff going on. Cause it's just him sort of hanging around. Um, so some- they do a lot of like, they, they kind of are, are like the good version of, of Gabriel and Skinflint from the 2001 <laughs> animated version, right? Where they're trying to distract you the whole time. This is more like, just giving you kind of like a palate cleanser between scenes. Like I said, the best version uh-huh. of what it's trying to do. We're trying yeah. to do a version about Christmas Carol where kids can watch it, get the story, but also have fun in a nineties mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. with a little bit of nineties humor and Muppet humor in there. And yeah. it, they, they, I did not, there are a few jokes in there that I'm like, ah, I don't know about that, but everything else is pretty solid from these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
they introduce Scrooge, and this does like a smart thing that the Albert Finney Scrooge didn't do, which is they leave Scrooge a little bit of a mystery. You're only told about him by like the other people around him. It, What's also nice is like he's super tall because they're all Muppets. So well, as Michael I have, Caine is like walking through and like they're all singing about him and you're just getting him from like the waist down for the most part. You mean Darth Vader walks in? Good yeah, God. Yeah, like yeah, he is yeah. like they, Rizzo and Gonzo have this wonderful exchange like as he walks in there. Where? There? When? Now? And they yeah. just boom, right? They cut right there. And out he walks and the score kicks in. And my lord. Oh, this is you, such a good song. Yeah. If you don't know anything about Scrooge, you're about to learn it all in the best intro to Ebenezer Scrooge ever. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. In my opinion. Um, my opinion. Yeah, I'll 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 risk a copyright strike and drop like a little tiny like bit of the music here for you to hear because it's really good. Um, they it really chills get into you to the bone. Oh yeah, like that yeah. guy in the it's first so like good. verse. Like he just he leans in and and then they both join in the Scrooge and then they start singing. What an amazing song to introduce Scrooge. Uh, here comes Mr. Humbug. Like, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> and what's nice is you get introduced to basically like all the characters on this street. There's like these little mice that live in the mm-hmm. wall. There's this guy selling vegetables. There's there the businessmen in this are like the pigs from Pigs in Space. So it's it's and they suck too because yeah, yeah. before we even get into the song, they're just talking about, oh, that was an amazing uh, lunch there. Yes, sir. What should we do now? Oh, yes, let's have another meal, right? Like, they just, they talk, like, they're gluttonous. And it's like, there are little, very subtle, but there are messages in here about, like, oh, they suck. Oh, even though he's doing okay, it's pretty bad for that guy over there. They say in all rainbows here, like, it's, it's. Very nice. Yeah, this movie is not going to spend a ton of time like explicitly talking about the plight of the poor and everything, but it it's going to give you a lot of little nuggets and breadcrumbs mm-hmm. for like if you're an astute watcher, maybe a little bit more sophisticated than like a ten year old watching this, you're going to get like the economic disparity without it being like a main player. You know what I mean? Right, but you're not going to f- not notice it as a kid. Like you might yeah. not get what it's saying, but you remember that character when something happens to them. Yeah, yeah, you'll notice you'll notice those differences. Um, um, so uh there's a, a moment in the middle of this song where there's this little refrain these like women singing a carol and they sing about like oh he's probably lonely and sad and all of this is just a front because he's actually in pain he's like a victim of his own pride whatever and then they're all like nah well, <laughs> screw well, that <laughs> scrooge walks by yeah. looks at them singing about him yeah. and, and there's a charity plate right there yeah and and they he don't, just walks yeah, by he, and they yeah. go, nah. And yeah, it's no, like, he's really a jerk. And it's so, and we we have yet to see his face. We yeah. have seen nothing. We are, we are looking at Scrooge from the POV of the Muppets, who bring up, who build up a sizable part of this world. It's not like everyone's humans and there's like five mm-hmm. Muppets. No, it's mm-hmm. it's 50-50 of not two-thirds Muppets. Like it's. Yeah, the the humans are are almost entirely always in the background. It's mostly Muppets 
and what? Michael Caine in this movie, which makes him even more intimidating. Which makes yeah. him more like, like, what is? Yeah, because he just like towers over all of them. It's right. really great, and the sets are built kind of to Muppet scale, so he always looks like he's like towering over the buildings a little bit too, which is a really interesting like visual take. It's and so I, they, good. I saw it couched somewhere that they were like, oh, like. In some shots, it's obvious that the houses are too small. But Brian Henson was kind of like, it's all right. Like, <laughs> I think it tells the story without has, us having to worry about whether or not it, things look to scale. And and, and you can be- look, we live in a world where there are smaller people. We're not going to. Mm-hmm. We don't need to know why there are human Muppets and then there are animal Muppets and yeah. why there are also yeah. regular humans. We don't need that answer. That doesn't matter here. What matters is what does it make us feel in this yeah. moment while yeah, watching? It's, just, it's Muppet world. And what I feel is that that guy is the most scary Scrooge I've ever seen in my life. Holy cow. So, yeah, we get like a shot of his face at the very end on like the last line of the song. He turns and kind of scowls at everybody. And Michael Caine, I I would say early in this movie, gives like really good Scrooge face. Right. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about how that progresses. I will say from the beginning of this movie up until the turn and mm-hmm. the the delivery of the first from Scrooge, and in my opinion, His humbug, the best yeah. humbug is perfect. That is all yeah. entire perfect sequence of this movie. Yeah. Um. So Scrooge in this version is like a kind of traditional like money lender. Um. He lends people money like for their mortgages and whatnot. That seems to be his big thing. Um. And of course he comes in and uh, Kermit is our bob cratchit obviously heck yeah he is yeah he gets did he get top billing in this too like it's it's kermit before it's even uh scrooge (laughs) i don't remember it i have to go back and watch i think michael kane gets top billing but no michael kane michael kane's gets and with michael kane oh he's like the feature he's 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 like the the top human but like scrooge is top of the bill and he earns in this one oh my gosh um and but also so in this version which i really love bob um has like a whole staff working under him of bookkeepers who are all the other rats right i love this choice i think it it makes well, it makes scrooge's business look more like it's thriving that he's got it he needs like 12 bookkeepers right like he's there he's, he has to pay people so he has more of a boss employee employer d- dynamic right it's not just bob we're seeing a cast he's casting a wider net right of the people that he's right. affecting in the world and yeah. we and we immediately meet somebody he's affecting when he walks to his desk as gonzo gives an amazing description of oh yeah uh, oh he gives the wrenching grasping scraping clutching covetous sinner line it's very good it's just the way it comes out of his mouth uh, well gonzo but like it's just it's so good yeah yeah Yeah. um so yeah there's a guy in there who is like trying to get like an extension on his mortgage payment and scrooge basically ignores him he's doing this like whole monologue about how he's sick and the doctor takes his part too and whatever and (laughs) scrooge just picks him up and chucks him out the door and then is like all right let's get to these eviction notices with glee i mean he's like a gleefully evil person at the beginning of this he's particular somebody, adaptation he's somebody trying to be funny while doing horrible things because he feels justified in doing them but yeah. not really yeah. but he thinks oh it's just the way of the world so let's joke about the way of the world gallows humor and all and yeah. and it's this weird like he's trying to get kermit in on the joke too and kermit is like yeah dude totally that's great yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Harvest love, time for the I love when collectors. he's like uh yeah, that whole oh that's a rough line. I love when It's he, a Scrooge when, line. Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. I love when he says, um, you know, we're gonna give out the eviction notices tomorrow and Kermit's like, Oh, it's Christmas and he's like, Oh, you can gift wrap them. Like it's very, very, very cruel and cynical. Right. Um, okay, so look, here's the thing with Michael Caine in this movie. Michael Caine it famously and i think this is one of the like people love this movie for this reason like michael kane came in and he was like i'm gonna play this like it's the royal shakespeare company i'm not gonna do anything winking i'm not gonna do anything puppety or muppety i'm just gonna play it totally straight and let the muppet stuff happen around me and i think that's a really good choice i also think that he needed someone to help him shape the arc of the character a little bit more because i think that his scrooge is a little bit inconsistent throughout this movie so where in this moment are you noticing that i i I think that he plays like he's he plays both like the angriest scrooge that we've ever seen so this is not necessarily the moment where i'm seeing the inconsistency he's a super angry scrooge like violent he's throwing things and yelling at people um also though you get his like snide kind of like laughing at his own jokes and stuff so there's like a little bit of alistair sim in there as well um, and the inconsistency for me comes up later on. And so we'll talk about it when we get there. It's not enough to break the performance for me, but it's always something where I think I need to see more of like that Scrooge he is at the beginning, which is very strong, get like woven through the rest of the performance. He is a man who lives in a world with Muppets who doesn't want to live in a world with Muppets. Totally. Yeah. And that is why he is angry all the time. Yeah. Because it's it's like that's all he sees and the only people he sees as humans in this movie are his family or people that he you know like how many humans are in this film it, it there are like three. there are three main human characters it's right. it's scrooge and fred and fred's wife and that's it and and, and, and bell and we'll get to bell right oh like, yeah bell bell, bell. yeah yeah bell, like that's bell. it mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. else in his and like he's just I'm surrounded by these flipping Muppets. Yeah. Like this is like yeah. like it's just like it's he's always boiling. Like it's like it's in he's and anytime they try to like talk to him or interact with him or t- tell joke to him, like he just can't deal with it. I I get what you're saying, but I don't think his anger it's, works. So let works me against let me be him. clear: the anger is good. Okay, the anger is not the issue. It's it's. When we get to like the Marley scene, I'll talk about some some thoughts that I have, okay. not specifically about the Marley scene, but like from if this is our introduction to Scrooge, he's the baddest Scrooge, he's the scariest Scrooge, he's the angriest Scrooge, he's the cruelest Scrooge in a lot of ways, just in terms of on, on his face. He's giving a very like um, really, really going for it in this early moment. And then some things will happen later on that make me like, oh, I wish I could see more of this. So. He's um, the bulliest of Scrooge. Oh yeah, for real. That I mean, and but I think that's why I think some choices later on make sense. Yeah. So he, um, he, the, the rats want um, more coal, and Kermit, the world's worst union organizer, is uh, <laughs> is trying to get Scrooge to give them more coal, and he's like, "Oh, maybe I'll just fire you." And then they're all like, "Oh, it was the frog's idea. Never mind. Forget it. Forget it." Oh wait, you you can't gloss over the, the unemployment line. Yeah, yeah. And then they had the costumes left over from the uh, the uh, Beach Boys music video they did, Kokomo or whatever it was, and right. so they got like those, and they start dancing. I'm sorry. It's one of the funniest beats. It's very the- good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very I, good. 
And it's like, oh man, it's just great. <laughs> um, Gonzo uh, telling the story throughout this is also fantastic. Like, because he's getting that Dickens language in there and he's really delivering it with like gusto. Best um, narrator we've had in any one of these movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. By well, a and, country and, mile. And the only con- one that's like consistently been a narrator throughout. I mean, um, yeah, maybe it's a low bar, but he jumps over it by a mile. Like, this yeah. guy is doing. What he's also doing is he's giving the information in a way that is interesting, right? Right. And consumable, but also with respect. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when he's when he's directly quoting. Yeah, it's sincere. It's right. never it's never played for a laugh. It's always like very sincere. Exactly. Um. So we get a young Stephen McIntosh, who's got to be the youngest Fred we've ever seen. A good and a good looking Fred. Like this yeah. is a handsome yeah, 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 Fred. Yeah. yeah. Very like, cheeky. Yeah. I I love his 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 volleying with Scrooge. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. takes none of it, and he's got yeah. an audience. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting how he disarms Scrooge in this. He's got no fear of him. Yeah, he's got and no it, fear. It it makes me really sincerely wish that there was more about their relationship in this version because he gets done dirty after this point in the movie where they set him up as a very like well characterized full of personality he feels like a character that's really going to matter a lot and then he super doesn't like in the rest of the movie he there's one very brief little scene and then I mean, we'll talk about when we get to the ending. Like a Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol, there's only so much you can do in certain... Cho- like, again, sure. this is a movie, and I'm not saying they had time. They could have yeah. put a scene in, they could make one scene just a little bit longer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, for, for, as far as Fred intro scenes go... Uh, top notch. It's this, really good. Yeah. Th- like... Because they do like, a great thing here, because not only is it Fred's scene, and Fred gets the speech, and it's... Yeah. And it's... it's it's done with cadence, but like with like four- it's fun, yeah. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's like it's full of life and right, youth and right um, pep and he and then of course all the all the uh, rats and Kermit in the background go yeah yeah here here yeah. and when Scrooge just comes in with another unemployment line and yeah, they yeah, are yeah. and. And they just, if you gotta listen to the audio, they're just saying numbers. They're just yeah, saying yeah. 24, 28, 28, 29, 23, 22, 22, 21, 10, 10. Yeah, sure, 10. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's very good. And what's interesting about this too is, so we, we never get it done this way, but Fred and the charity collectors actually overlap. It's, which I think is a really good choice. Like, it's a really good way to condense this scene, develop the characters a little bit. It puts really puts Scrooge under the gun because not only is he dealing with the charity collectors, but also Fred kind of poking fun at him for how he's dealing with the charity collectors. And we see Fred, by the end of this exchange, he donates. Yeah. We see he... And he only has a hay penny or something, but he's got yeah, something yeah. in his he's pocket. He's got something there, yeah. And he's giving it to them. And what's great is, like, he's... Jumping in on like Scrooge is like I don't make merry at Christmas. That is true, says Fred. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I can't afford to make others merry. That is also not true. That is actually not true. He can afford it, and it's just a little like little. This is a great way to keep the energy and the motion going in yeah. a movie version of this. Yeah, it's totally. not a, You don't. 
Something I, I mean, of course, this is what, how it would happen in real life. People would come into a shop, leave a shop, come into a shop, leave a shop. But in a movie where you don't want to see the same type of thing over and over again, this is, it stops one of those repeaters. And again, it does this thing where it gives Fred a lot more personality than he usually gets. Because he's oh, usually yeah. just there to be like the foil and that's it. And again, when we get to stuff with Fred later on, I'm going to be like, it would have been nice to see some payoff for that. But It would have been nice to either get some more references to Fred, mm-hmm. and it would have been nice to get more of Fred and Kermit, obviously, because yeah. like that's always great when we know. And we do get, like, as Fred leaves at the end of this moment. Yeah, he's they gonna, get a little interaction. It's like, yeah. it's like oh, we got to make sure that people know, like, okay, they interacted. Um, so the, the charity collectors are, are Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker. Who my friend, my, my not my friend, my three year old, my son, we're friends, we're 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 bros. It's cool. Hey, you know, he was watching this with me, and he was like, "Look, it's a grape and a French fry." <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. <laughs> Those are also just two foods that he likes. Like he likes green grapes and he likes French fries. So hey, <laughs> he just made the association. Gotta get him. Gotta get that's. John, you just um, derailed this podcast with that amazing joke, and uh, wasn't even yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, my son. But should be on the show more often. But, <laughs> but Bunsen uh, and uh, uh, Beaker come in. It's a great choice to, for these two characters because it's, it's the choice. It's two very visually different puppets, and it's also ones that are been paired together in a lot of stuff. Right, they're they're kind of a duo. And it, the other, the other person. So I, th- I think it makes sense for them because Bunsen's kind of like a. I mean, like they're both meek characters, so they're mm-hmm. characters that are easily pushed around. The other thought that I had was, um, assuming a certain casting choice didn't happen down the road, was that Statler and Waldorf would also have been funny in these roles and have it be like they're kind of like heckling him for not donating. But I, that, I like yeah. where we end up having them. Oh, oh, we're gonna get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah. But spoilers that I'm gonna gush all over that scene. Yeah. Um. It, but yeah, they they come in here and they overlap with Fred. And they have nice little banter back and forth. And as Fred leaves, Scrooge is really agitated because mm-hmm. Fred keeps needling him and needling him. He's like, my dear nephew. And it's like, it just keeps building and building and building. And then <laughs> Scrooge goes and, dis- and looks up and sees that. Bunce- <laughs> but he's just there. Yeah, they're just standing there still. Just tapping his fingers like, so what can I put you down for? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, dude! (laughs) Read the room, man. How did... The rats are scared. The the frog is scared. You need to run. And um, it then just keeps going. And we get, of course, the line. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And it's great. And that's the prompt to leave the... um, the uh, house and it's it's a great little scene beaker is awesome in the background here lots of great puppet network going on with this because he's got a hat too and he's able to like play around with so good yeah so uh there's this bunny like one of the one of the little like bunnies with the fuzzy cheeks out on the uh the stoop singing a christmas song and scrooge like slams the door in his face so he walks away and then uh scrooge opens the door and he turns around like oh i'm gonna get a hay penny and scrooge like (laughs) hucks fred's christmas wreath at him in the snow more accurate than he would be with like 
he wasn't aiming at Tiny Tim that one time with the bucket full of water. Yeah. He was locked in. But that's where I mean, like, this is like a really, his take is very overtly uh, agitated and aggressive at this beginning, which I like because I think we don't, we often see a Scrooge who's angry, but in that, like, depressed, defeated anger kind of way, we don't often see, like, a raging Scrooge, which I enjoy a lot. This Scrooge is mad at the world he lives in, mad mm-hmm. at the circumstances he's in, and it's not his fault at all. And yeah. if these silly creatures would just stop being so darn silly, yeah. every I could maybe, you know, enjoy my life a little bit. But no. Um, so so Kermit, um, you know, asks for the day off and and they have this back and forth. I love when when Scrooge asks him, like, you want the whole day? And it's very like condescending and, right. and rough. Um, and, and Kermit's rationale, which is very smart, is basically like, no one else's business. Like, it's going to be pointless for anyone to be here. And Scrooge is like, all right, all right. Smartest Cratchit. Yeah. yeah. Smartest Cratchit. Very reasonable. <laughs> um, and, and so Scrooge leaves, and this gives way to my favorite song in the movie. I love One More Sleep Till Christmas. I love the lighting in this scene. I love like the song. I love the stuff that happens during the song. I love the ending of this song. It is so good. There's something in the wind today that's good for everyone. Yeah. Yes, faith is in our hearts today. We're shining like the sun. And everyone can feel it. The feelings running deep. After all, there's only one Christmas. more since Christmas. It's so good. It has. Stephen was talking about how, like, in the 60s, musicals no longer wrote pop songs, right? Rock and roll came along, took the pop song, pop song genre away from Broadway musicals. But every once in a while, you get something that transitions from a musical into popular music right i don't know if it did this at the time but it's definitely made the transition from just the musical right here into christmas music and pop music this is a song you hear on the radio or at least you should hear more this is a perfect christmas song yeah it's really good um and it's cool because it's like all lit by candlelight it's like a soft focus camera the rats are all doing like little somersaults and stuff to close the drapes and shut everything down and then they go out into the streets and um uh there's a part of me that would have liked for like tiny tim to be involved in this instead of it just being like kermit and the rats but i do sort of like holding the tiny Tim reveal so that we get it the same time that Scrooge does in this version. Cause I think the way they do tiny Tim in this has a lot of impact. Tiny Tim's got a lot of strength in the way they use him. Yeah. I agree with oh, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. but going back to here, I think cause the rats are there. Mm-hmm. Like you have the rats around him. So he's got people to interact with and he is so cool. With his coworkers here. It's such oh, a yeah. wonderful, mm-hmm. like dynamic and relationship, the way they put away the shop for the night. Yeah. And it's like, I like got Kermit this- as a middle manager. <laughs> Come on, if you wanted a boss, you want Kermit the Frog as your boss. Like, yeah. he's... I don't know, he yells at a lot of people on The Muppet Show. Like, he gets stressed really easily. Yeah, I but feel like, like that would be a toxic work environment. Yeah, but that's because they don't have Scooter there doing the heavy lifting like he should be Yeah, w- Scooter is not in this movie. It's really interesting that they Where just, like, couldn't find him? a place for him. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I think uh, even, like, in one of the street scenes, like, have him be Fred. You know what I mean? Like... 
It can't be. You have to have a human there for Fred. You do yeah, have to have a yeah. human for Fred and Fred's wife. You need that scene. There was a place where he was going to be in this, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Really? Yes. I did not know about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that, but uh, some changes were made, and he didn't end up making the cut. He was supposed um, to be the ghost of Christmas future. So, <laughs> close. So, um, ah! <laughs> there's this great sequence here where Kermit is, like, sliding on ice with these penguins. And so, I have the thing with these Muppet movies, right? Like, the Muppets is always about innovation in how to use puppets for entertainment purposes, right? I feel like the Muppet show, like, a lot of the sketches are like, here's this wacky experimental puppet that we're going to roll out and, like, do a whole number with, right? And it's- then the movies are like, let's see how far we can push the medium of puppets, for storytelling visually like can we get a puppet to be moving its mouth while it jumps across the ice and like slides through a scene how can we make that happen and there's some shots in this movie that really are like outstanding in terms of how they make a puppet look like a living thing moving in space yeah and on and with that also you have this like has it aged perfectly no but But it's it's kind of okay but it's quick and you laugh at it. And you're in on the joke. Yeah. You're in on the innovation in a sense. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. you kind of made it where like, oh, they can do the legs now for a little yeah. bit. Like yeah. it's it. And that is what, what Henson wanted to do. Henson yeah. wanted to keep evolving puppetry and using, you know, the Muppets and Sesame Street as like a starting point to get to other places like you would with Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Yeah. There's like, a shot later on in this movie that I think is like one of my top. 10 favorite shots in any movie ever there's a lot in it like there's there's a lot of great puppet work in here that isn't even just the muppets it's just like what like you see what craftsmanship is in there and it's awesome and then we get like a little uh uh this great shot of kermit like standing looking at the moon singing the last line of the song and then the camera pans over and it's um the bunny from earlier and he's like wrapped up in a newspaper and freezing he looks like elliot loudermilk and scrooged um (laughs) so good it's such a nice little beat because it's like it's not like cratchit's doing okay yeah you know he's he's got a lot of kids he's got he's got tiny tim at home but he's uh, he's got a house he's got a family he's got food He's got Christmas to look forward to. This poor bunny's got nothing. Yeah. And it's an interesting Chekhov's gun because we're not going to see him again until the very end of the movie. And it's also a nice way of reminding how layered life is and how there are many mm-hmm. different types of experiences. Yeah. At which some versions won't even go that far. Yeah. Yeah. And it's your transition back into like, okay, we had Kermit and the rats and, and fun. Yay. Christmas. And now it's like, all right, back to Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we get Scrooge. Um, we get Scrooge walking up to uh, his house, which, I mean, a lot of the sets in this all kind of look the same. They're all these, like, kind of narrow city streets. Look, um, you've seen one foggy London town. You've seen all the mall. But yeah, yeah, it's true. But let's not take away from the fact that they the lighting is great here. Oh, yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, these things are true throughout. The the quality, like John mm-hmm. was mentioning earlier, of, of Muppet Productions is amazing. This is this ain't cheap. It yeah. might not look real in certain shots, but it ain't cheap. This is beautiful. Yeah. So he um 
and we get you know gonzo and rizzo again are there providing the narration kind of getting you to that place there's great handwork here with rizzo and uh, gonzo mm-hmm. especially rizzo he's got very small hands on his puppet and yeah. they're just doing these what like with he's doing a recurring bit throughout the movie about jelly beans so he's oh, doing yeah. lots of picking up moving around and there's like a little bit of finger manipulation on the puppet which is tough to do and yeah. it works yeah. it, it doesn't look because if you've ever seen it you've seen a normal puppet body then you have the um the arms that go with it right mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. always that disconnect like when the cat would have the arms coming for the side to wipe the eyes off on the simpsons gif like right, that right, thing right. but here it doesn't feel that way it feels like this is this is rizzo and he's just pointing over there and yeah. i just want to make note of that it's really good work yeah, I don't think like it's the Mupp- it's the Muppets. It's it's literally the best puppets the whole time forever. <laughs> like, but that's you can the say thing. it every single but, time. But but no, because here's the thing. We we feel that way. We know that, John. But I don't think people really like if we don't sing these praise look, we get it. The Muppets are great. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't acknowledge it, then they forget forgotten and they get lost. And yeah. they, they did for a little bit. And now yeah. we're in a we're kind of like the kids from the nineties and eighties who grew up on that era of Muppets are holding the light up more. And we gotta keep it going because there is a quality to Muppets and the and the Muppet yeah. style that is something that is unique in medium and we need to sing its praises as much as possible to keep it in to keep it going. Yeah, I would say, and some of this is like some of like I think the best Muppet puppeteering um, in any of the Muppet films. Like, there's they, there's some really inventive stuff going on. It's um, it's great. So Scrooge goes up to his door, and his door knocker turns into Statler's face because uh, I guess Statler and and in theory Waldorf are going to appear here as as the Marley brothers who have. It's kind of been seeded, like we know the Marleys are dead, right? The so Marleys we know there's going to be more than one. Great, by the way, let's go back to that second. Great delivery of the Marleys is dead by Gonzo, like, yeah, and then yeah. they talk about like how it makes them feel, but it's like it's like that is my beginning of a relationship with this movie is that's because it's the opening of the movie and how strong of that is like that. I remember this podcast gets that name from that. Yeah. Like that, like that is how deep in my mind that intro is laid in. It's 100%. Um, (laughs) what's great is like, so this Marley yells at Scrooge, like it's really alarming and Scrooge like falls back and then it knocks, uh, gonzo and rizzo off of this like horse that they're on so they're laying there in the snow and then gonzo does this exorcist like pop up to deliver a piece of narration from being unconscious which i think is really great it was awesome um, and the door knocker uh very nicely done oh yeah get, like yeah because like it's 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 like three different effects going at once it's dissolved to make it with some practical and like probably three different door knockers or something like that probably yeah and, yeah. and it's just it's like and when they get that manipulation with that cry, like you're saying, the door kind of does a digital stretch and it it's right on the edge of looking fake. Of like it doesn't well, it is fake, but like it yeah. doesn't like it's it's like effecty. Yeah. Right, but it's not there yet, and it, I love it. Yeah. Um, so Scrooge goes inside and Gonzo and Rizzo do a lot of business of like trying to climb up to the window to see inside. Um, and then uh <laughs> Scrooge is like turning on a little light hunting through the house he beats the ever-living crap out of his dressing gown because he thinks it's like a ghost which is a great moment and then he's like oh it's my dressing gown and then the next scene he's wearing the dressing gown that he was just beating up it's Um, great it's like no damn no harm you know it's it's okay it's no damage yeah but he's you you can tell and gonzo lets you know through 
Dickens' words, like he's he's shook. He's very nervous right now. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the Marley scene starts off. He's sitting in front of the fire, and he hears like just the little bell start ringing. He's got he's sort of settled in. No gruel. Yeah, no gruel in this one. My my Scrooge doesn't have any gruel. <laughs> my Scrooge has a piece of bread and some sort of cheese or cake. I'm not yeah, sure. Whatever it is. Yeah. And like he's just gonna not even utensils. He's just gonna rip at it and eat it like a caveman. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> a barbarian Scrooge here. <laughs> uh his fire goes out, which is great. And then we get this like shot that kind of pans around him. We hear the bell ringing, and then from his stairwell leading up into his room. Well, with the bell, we get these great like staggered zooms on his face, mm-hmm. and it's like this. Re- it's not quite like Evil Dead or something like that, but it's like it's, the camera is moving, and yeah. there are a few handheld moments in this movie which give it a really unique energy, and they're all on Scrooge. Yeah, like Scrooge gets handheld stuff, and that's great. Yeah, um, and then we see all this light. Uh, kind of flickering in his stairwell and then the marley brothers pop up right so it's statler and waldorf um kind of floating they their arms are chained their legs are chained there's not really much else chain on them at this point mm. um and i remember at that time being like ah, it's not a lot of chains like, I really like to see more chains, <laughs> right and then i was trying to i was like i remember this being like like pretty chained up we'll talk when we get there um <laughs> You thought it wasn't enough chains. I know, right? So I love their they're lit from above, which gives them a really eerie look because they mm. both got these like dead, starey eyes because they're puppets, and this really highlights that. They look like statues. Yeah. They look like they look like a gargoyle or a statue at a graveyard, which is perfect for yeah, this. Yeah, it's really appropriate. Um so this is Jacob. And Robert Marley, which is my favorite joke in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love I love that just once in one of these, they're able to work in a Bob Marley joke. I love it. It's, it's subtle. It's the way you should do it. You never actually say it, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's there if you pick it up. And look, they needed a... Th- you don't want to lose one of them, right? But yeah. they're perfect to be Jacob Marley. And I feel like if the, if it wasn't Statler and Waldorf, then it would be Gonzo, right? Right, but then you have to have Kermit be Scrooge, and like Kermit can't be Scrooge. I don't like, even know if you need to have Kermit be. Scro- I think you still you can still have a human Scrooge. I think Gonzo is like because uh, like Fozzie in this is is Fezziwig. Like we'll get there. You know what I mean? They, no, they needed a human Muppet to be the yeah. Marleys. Yeah. There's something about being human and, and and like like the 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 animal muppets are kind the animal muppets are kind of pure in this a little yeah. bit like they're not as like i mean there are some villains and we'll see some later on but like but like for the most part they're pretty decent to one another and it's only when things are really dour that like we see even the animal muppets go like what yeah. like so- no i think statler and waldorf are a great choice because they're they they are always cast in kind of antagonistic roles anyway. This has to be the biggest feature they've ever had in a Muppet anything, right? I mean, the Muppet movie that they made back in like 2010, they are, while they're not the main characters, they do play a major part in that movie. But But up until this point, like... Oh, no, this is their, besides the Muppet show, this is their biggest like role in something, yes. Yeah. 
because um, they get like their own song and everything here. This might be the biggest. Yeah, now thinking about it, like this might be their peak, and it's um, good, dude. This song, rocks. Marley and Marley, is great. We're this is, Marley this is... and Marley. Ooh. <laughs> we're Marley and Marley. Our hearts were painted black. We should have known our evil deeds would put us both in shackles. Captive bound, we're double iron, exhausted by the weight. As freedom comes from giving love, so prison comes with hate. This is my son's favorite song. Yes. <laughs> he's like he's like play the marley song the marley song he was singing it early i was re-watching it this morning to like finish my notes and he was singing along to this song um it, and it's- this is so thinking back to our conversation earlier about michael kane is scrooge this is the moment where his character starts to get a little flat for me because he sort of like pushes back against them a little bit at first and then he's very soft for the rest of this and pretty much for the rest of this movie he's going to be a very like emotionally vulnerable scrooge in a way that i don't think is fully earned he's a bully who was bullied by the marleys yeah so he goes back mentally to that state when they're there. Yeah. And that's it why- is kind of like Guy Pierce, I guess, where he like goes back to his childhood. Right. And like here he's like, you always criticize me, which is a we are always heckling you, which is like, OK, yeah. that's their gimmick. I get where you're going. But if that's a part of this relationship, which I've yeah. always maybe because of this movie looked at the Marley Scrooge relationship like that, like. Marley probably had no time and didn't even like Scrooge that much. And yeah. here that is definitely the case. Yeah. And they are like they 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 needle him, they make fun of him, he references that, and you get the fence that he was the abused one out of the three of them in this relationship. And that doesn't mean he's good now. Hurt people hurt people, and he's hurting everybody else. Sure. Yeah. So I that's what I take away from it. Like he can't even he doesn't he doesn't look hard towards them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that read. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the It might not be what people would like at this moment, but at least that's where I could see it. Yeah. And f- well, for me, it's not just this moment. This is just where it starts, where I think Michael Caine flips a switch with Scrooge and never flips it back. Or there, I, I lose any sense that he really needs much convincing after this point. Like there's maybe a little bit at the end of this scene. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, my grand unifying theory of Michael Caine is Scrooge is that once the, he starts interacting with the spirits, he just seems like kind of like a sad guy when he starts off as like a villain. And well, I think that I preferred like thinking back to George C. Scott, where he's pushing them and pushing them and they're pushing him back. And it's a process to get him where he is at the end versus Michael Caine's pretty much sold by the time he gets to like the second ghost. And and we're all just sort of waiting for the ghosts to be over so he can go do the nice things. He's in this movie with the Muppets. But not only are the Muppets just living in his life, he's now got these spirits, right? These ghosts that are Muppets. And he has to sell a difference between the two of them. And he has to sell that difference. And how is he going to sell it? He's going to be awestruck. He's going to be in the presence of the supernatural. He is going to be in the presence of something otherworldly. So to sell that, he's got to take every interaction with them to be like, I have seen the face of God, yeah. right? 
Like, and that's the thing. Like, he's like the Marlies get a little bit pushback, and he's not as hard as he is with other things. But in a moment, we're going to see like he's still putting up a little bit. But it comes to a point where like he can't put up the fight anymore because mm-hmm. he lives in a world with Muppets, and there's even something weirder than Muppets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, throughout this song, the 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 chains are kind of uh, sentient and like the cash boxes are singing. Right. Uh, and they, slowly... and they, they get more and more chained up. The chains wrap around Scrooge at one point, they're getting up in his face. And by the end of it, they are it like mummified. They are so wrapped up in chains. The chains are dragging them back down. It's really good. It's, well, it's quite good. And like, they're, and they're trying to get to Scrooge. Yeah. They're trying to get to Scrooge to shake him yeah. to say what's going on. Like, yeah doomed scrooge you're yeah. doomed for all time like that's when they get as close to ebenezer as they're going to get for the whole movie and it's like that's when they got laying that message like you're screwed and as soon as they get that close the chains coil around them and they're being pulled away and they're being choked and it's and right before that they make a joke about how they were like how cruel they were and how they got rid of the orphanage and like all, they remember yeah. the little orphans with their frosted frozen teddy bears <laughs> and then they shudder with like with like regret and shame yeah and like it's so powerful it's to like see the mickey these... one where where goofy's like oh, yeah i robbed widows and swindled the poor and he's like oh no wait wait i was wrong <laughs> but, but unlike there it's he, not played for a laugh like it's no yeah. no they yeah. are they are in pain and yeah. they realize the weight of what they did and it they give it they give the role gravitas that i think other muppets wouldn't yes yeah, i think good. they 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 bump up certain like because they don't have time for the muppet stuff on the muppet show we know that they don't have time for certain stuff here yeah yeah like and as soon as they're gone, on their last note, the fire springs back up and Scrooge is like left alone, which is a nice I love the fire going out and then coming back is a really nice touch to kind of like shift the lighting and the mood in this moment. Oh, lighting here. Again, lighting is amazing, and we're gonna get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> um so Scrooge gets his fire poker, gets yes. his candle. He's, got his He's like, I'm, go- I'm going to bed with my poker. Like, <laughs> not going to play around. I, thought, I guess I never and noticed it on the VHS, but it's like, it's right there in the nice uh, digital one. To be fair to Scrooge in this, he does give us a nice, like, humbug, I don't believe this, right before he closes the curtain and goes to bed. It's a beautiful bed yeah. scene transition. Yeah. Humbug. <laughs> yeah. Um. So... Uh, That brings us to the end of the Marlies. We're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk about the ghost of Christmas past. If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself overused, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me overused if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hmm? Tears only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Thank you. 
All right, so we're back. Scrooge is in his bed. There's a really great shot of him laying in the bed. He's like shot from above and you can see the candlelight coming through the curtains. It's like way better than any shot in this movie has a right to be. It's very, very good. Ah! This movie has a lot of really good shots, but this one in particular stood out to me. I think it's a really, really good one. There is a cer- There are certain beats when they want to emphasize time and the transition into the supernatural. Yeah. So it's the- one of several moments where you forget this is a Muppet movie because it just feels very like lived in and period and appropriate the lighting is really really great and then and we do these like little like we see his eye flicker a little bit we hear the clicking of the clock and we get closer Mm -hmm. and closer to scrooge's face yeah and then the bells yeah well there's a whole bunch of business here with rizzo and gonzo trying to get up to the window to see what's going on as well there's like the whole gag where rizzo climbs over the gate and jumps but then he has to go back and he just walks through the bars to get his jelly beans right there's a lot of good like personality development for the two characters and it was at that moment i was like is gonzo john am i rizzo like (laughs) i i I would say it's like an appropriate take on our our relationship saying it's one-to-one across the board but like in that little dynamic there for a second i was like yeah that's about right (laughs) yeah um another one of my favorite moments here is when gonzo is is he's it's gonzo standing on the branch of this tree and he's got his arms spread out and we're looking like down from below up at the window and his voice is like echoey because it's like uh, expect the first ghost when the bell tolls one and then like the lights blast on from the window and like the wind blows his cape and i'm like oh gonzo's out here being like a like a, a ba <laughs> narrator guy what oh, is this it's gonzo auditioning for doctor who i'll tell you right now it's something yeah <laughs> side note if the doctor regenerated into gonzo i'd watch that show the ghost of christmas past is not a traditional muppet it is a new puppet that's been created solely for this role. Before we even get to the ghost, though, sorry, we got to talk about this one shot here. We get this side shot of Scrooge mm-hmm. lying on the bed. Gonzo says, when the bell tolls one, the bell tolls one as soon as it happens simultaneously. The room from the other side of his bed curtains is lit up with the brightest light you have ever seen in your life. Yeah, it's very, it, it very is, bright. It's gorgeous, and it's like, that's why I feel like Scrooge has, like, no arguments here. Like, can't say anything, because yeah. it's like, divine presence is right there, and Scrooge's like, oh, okay! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, originally, when they were originally planning this, the ghosts were all going to be traditional Muppets. They were going to be Muppet characters in these roles. So this ghost was going to be either robin the frog who ends up being tiny tim or scooter this is why it's good to workshop things yeah because what you get instead is not the best one-to-one adaptation of the book that is still probably the richard williams one sure that one because that's as close as what the book is trying to do with this ghost as you're ever going to get but this is something new yeah it's something unique and something memorable and something that works. Yeah. Like, this is a great... Like, if you're doing, like, child, middle-aged, death, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a great way to start off here. as, And the the nostalgia of childhood represented in such a pure ball of joy. As, yeah. as the, like, it's a different... It's a slightly different interpretation. This ghost isn't as, like, 
indifferent as fact. I mean, it is, is, but it's not the same. Like, you don't get the same, like, subtle sniping as you would get with other ghosts here. It's more just a matter of fact, but, like, just, it is the past, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. So, this puppet is, it's like a, a child's head. Um, a little bit uncanny valley, like it's so realistic that it makes you uncomfortable, which I think is the intention. Right. It's got red hair and then it's got just kind of like a shimmery like garment of some kind. That's it. There's no body. It's just like a floating head with like a wispy body. So, James, how do you think that this was filmed? How right. did they make this floaty thing happen? I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea how they actually did it. But this is how I would do this effect if I had the money and resources to. Mm-hmm. You would get it in water. Mm-hmm. You would put it in water and you would put it and you would have a f- fabric that they, they're using here and you would light it from underneath mm-hmm. in water that then you could mm-hmm. green screen the water out yeah. and and as few air bubbles in there as possible. Um, and then you might do this twice or three times to then overlay everything. So you have this kind of like always moving, but you're never quite sure what's real or what's not real. Like, like 50%, like 30% on this one, 30% on that one. Like everything is kind of equal footing, but like it's similar movement. I don't know, but is that you're, what they did? So you're, you're very close. So okay. I think your take is a little bit more complicated than what they actually did. Well, they no. filmed everything with this puppet in a giant glass vat of baby oil. So the same idea where it's like submerged in this one, it was a big thing of baby oil, which I think gave them probably a clearer picture than water would have. That makes sense. That makes more sense. Yeah. Filmed against a green screen. So everything with this ghost, right? The, the, this ghost is, is composited into the, the actual film. Um, but it gives it the effect of everything floating a little bit. Right. They may have altered the speed of the film somewhat so it doesn't look quite so like liquidy. But yeah, basically to get like the floaty effect, it's all filmed in baby oil. And what's nice is it doesn't have to be that high def because it is that like hazy kind of memory thing because it doesn't necessarily look like it's right there with Michael Caine. But it doesn't not look like it's not right there with him because the way it's lit, because the eyeline matching, they do a really nice job. Like Marley at the door knocker, it doesn't have to look 100% real. It can look, but it has to look like it's manipulating our reality. Yeah, kind Some, of the benefit of it being Muppets too. It's like you're not looking for realism, you're looking for like fun puppetry. Right, but also it's like you have like, we don't know what a spirit like this would do to our reality, you know, cause and effect. So some stuff is acceptable sometimes, right? It's not a science here. This is a supernatural thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Christmas past, um, flies him out the window and Gonzo uses like a grappling hook. Sure. To grab onto his ankle. He used the grappling hook to climb the tree to get to the window for the shot. So it's not Looney Tune logic. Right. It's, it was there. Well, and what it does is like a thing that I really love with Gonzo and Rizzo in this, which is that they're kind of sketchy the whole time. Like they're the narrators, but they also definitely exist in the world and and sometimes can be seen, sometimes can't. But they keep having to resort to these kind of bootleg methods to keep up with the story, which I think is very good. It's, it's one a, of my favorite things in this movie. Well, you're cheering for them. Yeah. We all know the story of A Christmas Carol. So we we we... we 
we're, there are no surprises here. It's just about the execution of the story. Yeah. So what's our hero here? Gonzo and Rizzo being able to keep up with the narrative. You're you're rooting for them to do what they need to do. It also is kind of, I mean, okay, so let me put on my nerd hat, right? It's kind of like a meta commentary on the idea of narrative, of like having a narrator character who's there throughout, because it's not like they just keep popping up in the scenes. Like that happens a couple of times, but a lot of times we see them have to go through some work to get into the place so that they can be there to tell the story which is fun like it's and different than like Skinflint and Gabriel who are like the distraction characters in that 2001 version who are just there to like do annoying stuff while you're trying to pay attention to the movie and unlike uh Gabriel and the other mouse uh in that version because I refuse to keep both memories in my mind uh, <laughs> um unlike that version that movie this movie is kind of obvious that it's supernatural. It is a soup. This is a very super. I will admit that this version, this is supernatural stuff going on here. Right. Especially because Gonzo and Rizzo are going through it with them. Right. Right. So in that version, though, the Nick Cage version, he, I know he's only Marley in that, but I don't care. It's the Nick Cage one. Uh, and that, that is leaning a lot on the possibility of it being a dream. Mm-hmm. right yeah and so that makes the ma- mice being able to travel with them through the memories and everything even more inconsistent with what they're telling us right. here gonzo and rizzo and the spirits everything's real and they're able to follow them and that's how we know it's real in another way right yeah and we get a very good flying over uh london scene here yeah it's- and like gonzo and rizzo are getting dragged through the trees and like coming out with a chicken on their head and like there's funny stuff to make it like it's not just a straight take but right. again michael kane everything he's doing is a straight take right and and it's again it's not superman and lois lane flying i mean yeah. that's the best flying scene maybe ever um just for taking it seriously what's going on but it's pretty good here and the yeah. model again looks great it's very 1992 flying <laughs> It's what else can you say? Like that's what we're getting here. Oh my god, nineteen ninety two fly no, no, wait a minute. Hook. That was nineteen ninety one flying though. Hook though had uh, Hook probably had more of a budget than this did. Oh, like most the kinds definitely. of effects they're doing. But that was nineteen ninety one flying. Nineteen ninety two flying is puppets. <laughs> um, this was terrible. So we get I mean the scene scrooge is like in the snow and there's all the kids and he's like hey hey guys it's me scrooge and and he like reverts to his childhood for a second and then they go to the school um so this take we are not getting like neglected by his parents scrooge or if we are it's like um uh we're supposed to kind of infer it. It's not explicitly mentioned or spoken about. Like, I no, they mention it. I mean, they 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 talk about like he was left. He was left there. Like they they they. It's quick. And they don't yeah. drag on it. Yeah, but they because it's it, definitely not a main focus. I would say like this movie doesn't seem to this movie doesn't present us with like a compelling origin for Scrooge's worldview well with the exception of like what the one thing that's happening next but even that doesn't really work for me i don't know because i feel like what happens here with scrooge is like again he's taking the world seriously and nobody else is right yeah and he's taking it seriously because he's forced here by his parents he's not home at christmas now this could be me 
hearing one line said by the Ghost of Christmas Past, it's kind of muddled, and then knowing everything I know about Scrooge's home life or the possibility of it, laying it in there. After yeah. so many episodes, that's true too. It's but, easy to read it into it when you kind of know like every other version of the story. Right. But also though, what happens here is he's staying there and everybody else is leaving. I'm like, we're going home for Christmas, Ebenezer. Well, aren't you going to have fun at Christmas? He's not going to have fun at Christmas. He's going to be stuck there again. Who yeah. cares about stupid old Christmas? Christmas is the time when he's always left alone and yeah. he hates Christmas because of that. Yeah. Again, how many episodes of this in? I'm now putting this onto this, but it's still there a little bit. It's still yeah, there a little I, bit. I don't know that it's explicit enough. And then what happens next is like, so we see him grow up a little bit. And and what Michael Caine says about it is like, um, you know, Christmas was a time to get extra work done. But it almost sounds like that's his attitude. Like it doesn't it's not like anyone was explicitly telling him that. No, well, no. What we get here is that he's trying to convince himself that he did the right, cho- made the right choices, or that the choices he made in his circumstances were yeah, good, or the choices that were made for him. For him, maybe, right? Or they never vice- really. We're never really told whether or not that's the case. So, like, if this is the only version of the story you ever experienced, it's. It, I feel like it's this this gap of like why like what who's leaving him here and why and not that the novella really gives us that explicitly either, but we at least get like. Because his sister's not in this at all. No, no, no. Right, she's not in it at all. So we don't know anything about his father. Like, the daddy issues are not there. So the only figure that's, like, telling him to stay here and work hard and and do this is the school teacher, right? The schoolmaster, who's Sam the Eagle, which is a great casting. But before we... I'm sorry, we're going over one of my favorite Michael Caine moments. Like, this is... Like, I'm always alone. When he says Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. and when when, when he's like... And he just look. He, I think he really breaks down looking at his younger self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. he really he yeah. breaks down as much as some stuff in the school's about to break down because because <laughs> all right, we're finishing with Scrooge though for a second. He's it hits him hard mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. at his younger self, and then the montage that comes afterwards yeah. because we see all the Christmases go through real quickly. Yeah, and. Watching this with Scrooge is Rizzo and Gonzo sitting on the shelf with all these busts of the great writers of history. Yeah, and it pans yeah. so over. It's, um, it's it pa- Aristotle, Dante, Moliere, Shakespeare, and then Gonzo, who is Charles Dickens, who Who's would Dickens? be the next person in that line. It's, uh, my it's English a, teacher me had like a giddy little moment over it, that. It, so that's where they are. And... Then, as we travel through time, we get to Sam the Eagle on Scrooge's uh, day for his apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. Sam the Eagle espousing the Protestant work ethic. Um, Uh, (laughs) This is, this is, in a weird way, very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The history of, like... And he's re- and he mentions it is the American way. Uh, the British. Yeah, way. like I love Gonzo has to interrupt, has to like break the fourth wall to come into the store and be like, "Hey, Sam, Sam, work this in Britain." Like, <laughs> uh, right? But before that, this school, which is sturdy and has stood the test of time or whatever, it's yeah, the shelf ab- breaks down and they're like trying to like get out front of the statues. It's great. It's like it's this is a boring part of the movie for kids. 
Oh, yeah. So what yeah. they have to, what Gonzo and Rizzo have to do, and Sam the Eagle by extension, they have to make it interesting for kids. But, but again, they're balancing doing it in a way that is not um, offensive, like inappropriate with the material they have. It's right on the line. It's, 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 it's right on it's the fence of stepping over into that skin flint and Gabriel territory where you're like, do I have to watch these antics anymore? And Gonzo and Rizzo, I think, because they are more critical to the story and the the joke of them getting into these shenanigans while trying to tell the story is like woven throughout. It works in the way that the two mice in the in the animated one doesn't work. And uh, and also what's better is just better sometimes. They're yeah. funnier. They yeah. have better jokes. Yeah. They have better reason to be there. The, like it's better said. slapstick, and it's it's not bad animation where you, it's unclear what's happening. Like, and we trust Gonzo, and Rizzo is really proving himself to be a Muppet of merit here, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's really mm-hmm. going to be somebody that you would want to see in other Muppet projects moving forward. Like this, like you said, this is not his first thing, but this is his biggest thing at this point, yeah. and he's come to play, and so. They're quality performers, quality Muppets, and uh, what they have here is miles beyond what the other mice had. Yeah. Like, so, like, I think that's, again, another reason why it works. Yeah. Um, what, I'm, I'm, I really like this movie. Like, I'm trying, I don't, I'm not trying to be, like, the naysayer here, but for me, this is, like, it's the Scrooge character in the heart of this that I struggle with, because I, I, Sam the Eagle is presented here if you just take this on its own without any other influences. He is presented as like the guy that gives Scrooge his attitude about the world. So his whole thing is like work hard and be responsible and and like, you know, uh he has a cut song here called Chairman of the Board, which is a, not a good song, which is I think why it's cut that is about like if you work hard and keep your nose to the grindstone eventually you can be like rich and influential and it's like uh that's not like a trauma that's just someone giving you like kind of bad life advice but that's not the thing that turns you into a guy who's like hurling christmas wreaths and all this stuff and i guess you could argue that that's bell right like they position it kind of as like he's too he's too much of a hard worker and he's too focused on making money so he's gonna break up with bell and then that wrecks him forever but i think i just miss like the the layers like that you get but then again really with scrooge mcduck like scrooge mcduck worked perfectly well and there was none of that stuff so i might to say i will say this there is one bit of dialogue there that is um at the end of this scene as the man that's young scrooge who by the way is one i will give you this is one of the weakest young scrooges ever they oh, yeah, ADR he's, his, he's like way too young it's not good yes headmaster the, yeah. Some his voice must have been horrible, so they had, came in and somebody did ADR. Or he, he just, just seems like a perfectly nice kid. Like you don't get the sense that he's going to grow up to be this like monster. Oh, I mean, he he would have been a fine, you know, whatever and whatever. But here he sucks. So like, I'm sorry, he just does. He does not add anything to this, and he's actually yeah. very noticeably of not doing his best. Well, he's, yeah. he's he might be doing his best, but it's just not great. Um. There's a line, though, as the apprentice comes to take the kid away, Sam the Eagle says, no, here's a more piece of advice here. Never tip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I typed, is that the greatest lesson? Is that, so the great, is that the greatest lesson he took away from Sam the Eagle? Hey, never tip anybody. Never tip them. Keep all your money. And like. I kind of am upset that the chairman of the board song wouldn't be like 
Look, if it was cut because it didn't add anything, great. It but doesn't. I'm, it's not a good song. The Charity Collectors also have a song that's that's not very good. Nah, that's just trying to get on Broadway at this point. Uh, like, like, what you all you got to do here is if you're going to do a song, you do the Dark Side Capitalism by Sam the Eagle. Like, you really like if you're gonna if that's if that's where you're gonna get him getting the worst lesson of capitalism, this is where you get it. And I think that would be great. I think Sam would be, of course, an appropriate character to deliver that to Scrooge. And also, it would give you more of what you're looking for here, John, in in this version. Yeah, I I just think I need some reason for Scrooge to, like, from his childhood, have a broken view of the world, like a trauma. And I, aside from the lonely Christmas thing, they don't give me a good enough explanation for why that's happening for me to be like, this is a trauma. I think I, I I end up having to read too much into it from my own knowledge of the story to make it work. And I, that's what I find hard to manage. But for I, I look, I, I fair enough, you know, but I would I just I, I feel that he's so hard in the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. He is so evil in the beginning of the movie that I think that's enough of a setup for the audience. Like, I, I think in that respect, like, the audience knows why this guy's lonely because he's he has pushed people away or because of his circumstances had people pushed away. Right. But that's pushing people away is a behavior. It's not a cause. You know what I mean? Like, I need to know the reason why he's pushing people away, because that's the thing that makes you sympathize with Scrooge. If Scrooge is a is a huge monster at the beginning and then it never tells you, like, the the thing that was done to him that turned him into that monster, then it's harder to sympathize with him. But then what happens is you just make him really nice for the rest of the movie, because that's what they do with Michael Caine in this movie. He's just kind of like, he softens up real quick and you feel bad for him because he displays a lot of emotion rather than the story explicitly giving me a reason to care about him. I get, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but I think what's happening here though with, let me get this together because we're, we're going to bat on this one. Okay. We're, we're, we're really, I think with Scrooge, I really do feel that's that for me as a kid mm-hmm. and as an adult, and I know that's hard to separate the two things. That montage has a lot of weight. That yeah. scene transition of seeing him by himself at Christmas has a lot of weight to why this character just hates the holidays and has a has a narrow view of the world, right? Yeah. Again, is it the best setup for Scrooge ever? No, but for me as a kid, it's told me like, oh, this kid just had the nobody should go through that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a simple and it's a clean version of it, but I still think it works. Yeah. I think you give me what would change my opinion on this is literally like one line, right? The spirit says something about like him being alone at Christmas and he like instead of it being like christmas was a time to like work hard and study more or whatever like have him throw in a line like you know my my well my father thought that uh christmas would be a good time for me to do like just throw that in and all of my problems with this are solved i think not having it be explicitly like tell me that someone is putting him in this position he's trying to justify it for himself but and again this is maybe me just because i'm such a fanboy for a christmas carol thinking this i think those are his father's words Sure. I think that's I, I think you're totally right. I just think if looking at this as a single piece of art, it's not there. And I feel the the weight of that missing element of the someone hurt this kid. Right. Because it think, kind of feels like he's just hurting himself. And I don't understand why. But, but no, I see it as he is being hurt and that he is con- that the, and every crossfade 
is him being hurt over and over and sure. over yeah. again. Yeah, totally. Yes. Okay. We've done it. Yeah. All right, yeah. we're good. Let's move Problem on. Solved. <laughs> <laughs> um so we get uh God, How is it is... a Christmas how is it this one is the one we have the most differing opinions on? I, I think I came into this one just like everyone says this is the best version, and as a person who's now a self appointed christmas carol expert i'm choosing to like hold people to that like okay you're gonna tell me this is the best version of a christmas carol let's talk about all the reasons why it might not like i i'm not i'm not even doing it out of a sense of i think this is a bad version because i think it's a like very good possibly top five version but i think that it gets accolades because people grew up watching it and it's the muppets and that wallpapers over a lot of the flaws that it has and i agree with you to a point that well look i agree with you that nostalgia can do that to people i yes yeah. but what i think is it's where people start to try to make look there's this thing called the spirit of christmas by bell telephone it's this minuet like thunderbird special that comes on it's like it's got the, <laughs> the greatest story it's got like the first christmas and then twas the night before and it's like these horrible like puppets doing this stuff i watched it one night when i was like eight years old on christmas eve on pbs and like i loved it but like yeah. i can acknowledge that that is not a great like that's the best special ever it just that is nostalgia i find it quaint it's kind you know it's, it's that sure it's, this i think while it is not again, like I said earlier, it's not the novella. It's not that. What it's attempting to do, it's doing amazingly. And I think you and I do will agree on that. Like I think that's the point we're going to come down on. I well, my issue is I see people being like I unironically saying the Muppet Christmas Carol is the definitive film version of a Christmas Carol. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> this and podcast get... has to be like a testament to why that's just an untrue statement. I, I, I we'll 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 talk. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what is definitive is that the next casting choice is such a layup. It's so good because we're going to go to Fozzie Wigs. Yes. Right. And it's just like a little for for a character as big as Fozzie. It's a very small little moment for him. But I guess once you see the names, it's like it's like casting Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge. Like it's right there. You kind of have to do it. And personality wise, it fits too. Cup side note, can we get Fozzie Wig and Scrooge McDuck to interact a little bit sometime yeah. in the future? Yeah. Like that's just that writes itself dynamite yeah yeah but it's it's great we get this party it's a great version of the party mm-hmm. like at fozzy wigs rubber chicken factory rubber chicken factory like amazing i love that mrs Fezziwig is his mom too right because right. i assume she's a character she, like I, i'm not i guess as familiar with some of the muppet stuff as i could be but i feel like fozzy's mom made an appearance on the muppet show at some point she's a recurring character she, yeah. she she's bigger than some muppets in the background like she has her moments here and there and some stories and such so i it's if you know about ma uh, Fezzi, uh Fozzie's mom it's a great little moment yeah 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 we also get a young statler and waldorf at this party which is fun right i, I love how bad they look as young men <laughs> yeah they just look old because it looks like <laughs> they actors. look like old guys with hair dye it, they, they look <laughs> Like, uh, uh, which one, which screwed played his younger self and it did not work at all. It's one of the ones we like. Oh, uh, Seymour Hicks. Seymour Hicks. It looks like Seymour Hicks. And it's like, it looks like the painted on hair. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, they yeah. died, like, which is such a, if that's what they were going for, 
Oh, 100% it is. Because I think it, they're, they're so briefly, you want it to be recognizable. Right. So, like, those are old men. Those puppets, like, exist outside. They're like the wizards in Lord of the Rings. They exist outside of time. No, <laughs> no I think it was them talking about old Hollywood. Like, this is, if yeah. we were shooting yeah. this and these were actors, we couldn't de-age them. So we yeah. just put them in crappy wigs. And it's like, oh. Yeah, if that's the like the meta narrative there, it's very good. And either but it's funny either way because they again they're heckling Fozzie, which right. and and that's I think where like the alchemy of the casting choices like comes together is in moments like that where like you can do a Christmas Carol but still have it explicitly be like the Muppet dynamics, mm. right? And there's a lot of that that's going to come up in like the latter half of this as well. Yeah. Oh, th- we're just getting going. Like this is yeah. great. Yeah. Um. Uh. We also get uh, animal. And the uh, Dr. Teeth and the, and the uh, Electric Mayhem here are like the band at the party, Animal, which is great. Animal, who's at this moment, I think, at his peak as well in like the popularity. Like this is Animal. Like Amio gets a, a sizable cameo and, and joke in this movie. Like he gets yeah. this moment right here where he gets the crowd quiet for the speech. And then when he takes us from 1840s, you know, Christmas party folk music to ragtime <laughs> yeah whatever it is yeah he's just mad because he didn't get to play the ghost of christmas future which is almost what happened no it was going to be either animal or gonzo before they decided that gonzo was going to be charles dickens again this is why you workshop things yeah. people mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. work because what they end up doing is so much more effective uh, well right again the supernatural though are something different you yeah. know they are and especially can you imagine michael kane looking animal in the face and being like i fear you more than any specter i've seen and yeah, just being yeah, animal yeah. going like ha ah, ah. i mean in a way animals terrifying like he animals the scariest muppet just in a no, vacuum if you're gonna do that then you cast the big do the sweetums big, yeah sweetums who's like yeah. like but he's too sweet and cuddly even though he's yeah. big and scary like yeah and you don't do the phantom like that guy, like the one who's like maniacal laugh. Like, yeah. no, what they did here, spoilers, they create three unique ghosts because they have to make them different and feel supernatural for Scrooge to have the reaction he has. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so we get a couple good things here. We get um, Fozzie having to tell young Scrooge to like loosen up. And enjoy the party and stop worrying about the money, right? And Scrooge is explicitly like, this money, this party is really expensive, right? Young Scrooge. And Fozzie's like, chill, bruh. It's fine. <laughs> and then he introduces him to Belle here. So we get that again. Belle and Scrooge meet at the party, which isn't in the novella, but is in like 12 different versions of A Christmas Carol. Right. Because it just kind of works, right? Like, I think narratively, it's very satisfying. It's it's a good transition. She's a member. She's a fa- she's a friend of the family, as, mm-hmm. she's, as they say. I wish I kind of wish there would have been a place here for a beat for them to like. Like, if she's a friend of the family, maybe she makes, like, a bad joke or a whoopee cushion joke. But then again, maybe that's wrong because you got to keep yeah, the humans more you gotta, serious. You got to play that straight. That's Nowadays, the they do that. Nowadays, they would do that. And it would be wrong. This was the right choice. Yeah. They meet at the party and 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 Kane. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. He, yeah. he sees Belle and he yeah. is taken aback. Mm-hmm. like he's yeah. he's taken he's taken back yeah for the fourth or fifth time since seeing jacob marley he gets like teary-eyed which is his go-to move in this movie like he really is good at bringing that like the the raw emotion 
in well, these moments. He wasn't the only one because John, when we transitioned to the next scene, I paused my copy on Disney Plus and went to the internet to watch the VHS copy version. Oh yeah, yeah. To watch what happens next. Yeah, so I did not do that, but we can still talk about it, right? Oh, for once I have the deleted scene, <laughs> <Yeah>. not you, sir. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the breakup scene is on a really beautiful set. It's like in oh. kind of like a country road in the snow. There's a nice like little model village out behind it that you can see, right? Because it's obviously on an indoor set, but like really nicely done and put together. Old school Hollywood feels like yeah. ve- like Wizard yeah. of Oz. Like it just has, but because we know what the scene is or what the scene becomes, if you don't know what's happening, it really makes it like feel like eerie and like it like like unnatural and like mm-hmm. it hurts a little bit more because yeah. it's on a picturesque like yeah it's, on it's this like perfect, mm-hmm. yeah it's this perfect setting that's gonna hit scrooge right over the head with a punch um so uh uh the song that is cut here for their breakup is when love is gone right so, so tell the tell us the story of this because i feel like you know more about this than i do Okay, so back in 1991, 92, when they were making this movie, and they had they they filmed this song "When Love Is Gone" to be in the movie, and the song "Love Is Gone" is the breakup song. It is slower than the other songs in the movie. It has no Muppets really in it at all. In fact, there are no Muppets. The only Muppets you see are at the very end of it as Belle's walking away from singing it, and it's sad. It's not the best song. It repeats a few uh, verses too many times, but it's a it's a, it's a very like it hits hard. There's a moment where they come to a bridge and Belle is singing about love and having it and how great it was and how it can go sometimes. And Scrooge walks away. Young Scrooge walks away. So young Scrooge is gone, mm-hmm. and older Scrooge comes in. And finishes the last verse with Belle. And they sing a a one-sided duet from Belle's point of view. And yeah. but they're singing together and he can't quite do it, but he's like he's breaking down as he's looking at her and remembering her. And they sing the end of the song together. And then she walks off off the bridge and walks past Rizzo and Gonzo, which is when the movie picks back up. This scene was cut because a producer at the time felt that it was too slow and kids wouldn't like it and it didn't fit the movie. So they cut it out of the theatrical release. But what happened was, I don't know if they were already in production or what, but the VHS release of this movie had the scene in it. So when I grew up, I didn't know that there was a version of a Muppet's Christmas Carol that didn't have this song in it. This was always a part of it to me. Yeah. Then what happened was because the theatrical release did not have it included, the DVD release didn't have it included. Nothing mm. else did it because they took the film negatives. Yeah, the Disney Plus one doesn't have it. The Disney Plus one doesn't have it because the film negatives that were distributed across, they just didn't have it in there. And they thought they had lost it. A couple of years ago, um, I believe it was Jim Henson's son, found a copy of the movie with this scene still intact. 
So what I believe is happening now, that nothing has been made official, is that they are restoring it and they'll probably put it on Disney Plus eventually as either an option or another version you can all watch. Like you can either pick at the beginning which run you watch or you have to seek it out, but you'll find it on there. So this song is not the best song. It's, It's a good song, but it is a song that is needed here. Yeah, I would say my experience is it definitely feels lacking because I watched this for the VHS growing up that had the song in it, right? I've I've seen it. I know what it is. And watching it now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, this definitely needs something there. This needs more impact for me to, for if this is going to be the thing that really is breaking Scrooge, I need it to hit harder, right? Right. And and it definitely doesn't. As a kid, I definitely was like, this song is long and boring. I want to get back to the Muppets having fun, right? That was the thing, right? So that executive was... Not wrong, but maybe being too executive. Like, right. artistically, it needs to be there, even if the kids can suck it up for two minutes and listen to the song. And here's the thing. As a kid, I can clearly remember this as a kid. Yes, it was boring up until when Kane starts singing. Mm-hmm. And when Kane started singing as a kid, the weight of what was going on hit. Yeah. So it does its job. You have to go through some repetitive lyrics and a song that is kind of slow and one person singing in the middle of Muppet action going on. But you need this. You need to take your yeah. medicine. You I'm wondering to- if I would feel more charitable to this if I had done what you did and like actually gone. I wanted to just kind of see it as it was so we could sort of compare. Um, I get that. Interesting. I get that. But I got to tell you, it really lacks without yeah. this. Yeah. And, and it, it connects with something later on in the movie that this sets up. So if it's not there, then the even the, the very end of the movie doesn't have as much weight without this song being in the movie. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning. All right. And that does kind of bring us to the end of the um, the ghost of uh, Christmas past. Wow. That kind of brings us up to the current moment. We talked a lot about oh, this movie already, man. This is, this is I, I could talk about this. Look, we didn't even hit my notes that much. Okay, let me go back to them real quick because I, I you know how much people want us to talk about this one, right? So let's talk about some things that we didn't even bring up for a second there. First of all, the cat that chase uh, Rizzo around at Scrooge's school. Great cat. Looks like the puppet from too many cooks, but great cat. <laughs> right. We, we've, we've got when Scrooge is lowering into the school, there's this great like arm adjustment when this one, when like, it's more like he look he looks, he's Mary Poppins y'all. And it looks yeah. <laughs> great. Like when he's holding the hand of the spirit. So Jim, John, do you want to cast some carols? Let's cast some carols. So, um, here's what we have, uh, ahead of us. So, um, I actually want to take, take a moment here to talk a little bit about the future of this show. Oh boy. Because I'm, I'm realizing that, that, uh, it might be an appropriate time for us to bring this up, um, given that we have several characters ahead of us. So, uh... 
this show has always been sort of a um, something that we knew had a had a limited shelf life just by the nature of we're talking about the same story every single week. It's not always going to be something that's easy for us to find nuanced and new ways to talk about. Um, and eventually we're going to start retreading things a whole bunch. Um, and so bearing that in mind, James and I always kind of had a, a um, soft end date for what we're going to call season one considered around the end of either this year or next year. And we weren't sure how long it was going to go. Um, and here's what we've decided. So uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol is going to be the final adaptation that we review as part of what we're calling season one, which is basically has been this year. We started kind of around the beginning of the year and we've made it through to this point with gaps in between um, at trying to review as many different adaptations as we could conscious of the fact that there are dozens if not hundreds more adaptations that we have not seen that equally deserve kind of a conversation every year there'll be a new one made so we're never going to run out of versions of a christmas carol we we could do this to our dying day till we're in the dirt with with marley and we would not get through every single version precisely and so rather than then try to push through and give you a um sort of uh, obligatory episode every week and and burn ourselves out what we're going to be doing is putting uh, Jacob Marley is dead to rest for a time uh, so in the future we will continue to do the show but we're going to be doing it on more of a uh, specialty basis where um, you know around obviously the holiday season we'll come back to it and we'll review two or three episodes I also thought James and, and you know uh, you can tell me what you think about this idea of doing like a, a Christmas in July where maybe we pick like a strange or unusual adaptation and do one to kind of keep the spirit alive at that point in the year. I think that balances out very well. You get twice a year there will be a period when we come back with a couple of episodes different seasons and we'll and look we know that there are versions that people want. John may scoff but I know there are a lot of people out there that love the Jim Carrey version. I know there Mm -hmm. are people out there that want us to review some. Me personally I want to review some of the more we weird stuff like there's one version on lifetime about like a fashion designer that i really want to review john yeah, yeah. we are reviewing that version oh yeah one, i know which one you're talking about 100 percent. yeah like um it's so weird. so basically what we uh, before we get into casting carols we wanted to say that what we're going to be doing is like, this is going to be our final episode of casting carols where we try to like push through the the characters that remain on our list um because uh we're going to be kind of wrapping up here. This is going to be the last episode of our first season. Now, that being said, this is not going to be the end of our endeavors as podcasters because we really enjoy this. It's a it's been a great way for us to stay connected throughout the pandemic. We basically have an entire friendship that's built around talking about and breaking down media in this way. So I'm not going to announce uh, exactly what we're doing just yet. But James and I in the new year have in the pipeline um, a project that we are very excited about podcasting wise, which I will talk about in our next episode. Um but stay tuned for that because if you enjoy kind of our our dynamic and you enjoy the way that we discuss and break things down um, in terms of looking at media, um, this is going to be a continuation, I would say, of like the flavor of conversation of Jacob Marley is dead. But we're going to be looking at um, a new piece of content. And I think another part is with this 
previous se- series of gaps we've had recently, and I think it created a natural feel about if we do create more gaps between us and the novella and these adaptations, I think we are going to appreciate them more and be and like come to it with fresher eyes. But we still are pretty experienced at this point of watching it, but we're not weighed down with doing it every other week. We're watching another version. We can come to it with maybe a more honest take. Because that way we're not bringing any other baggage to it, right? Like, exactly. So exactly. I think I think we're going to be getting better episodes of Jacob Marley is Dead out of this because of it. And I also think with what we're working on in the future, for the f- friends out there who listen to this, and you're my friend right now if you're listening to this podcast, all right? Because you're going to leave, you're, you know what you're going to do, at least five of what in a few minutes at the end of this. But anyway, you're my friend, friend. But look, but to everybody that listens, seriously, um, if you, ha- if you enjoy this, you know, banter that we have, we got something, we're cooking on something big here and something that I've wanted to do some version of for a long time. And John is really, we're, we're really looking forward to this next thing. Yeah, right? it's it's very exciting. And we're both, I think, a little sad to be putting Jacob Marley's bed is dead uh, back in his grave for a little while. But uh, like Jacob Marley, he'll be making some special appearances. Look, it's rest in peace. Okay, let's, yeah. let's give the man some peace. Yeah. Um, so we have to uh, we have to do some casting carols. So, um, James. Yes. Here's who we have left. We have Mrs. Cratchit. We have Belle, and we have Fred and his wife. Okay, these are the major players that we have yet to cast. So, so all right. So those are the four we have left. We have Belle. We have uh, Fred and Fred's wife, and we have Mrs. Cratchit. All right. Well, we'll be back in a second with let's. Who do we want to end with? Should we let's end, end with Let's end with Bell. Yeah, let's end with yeah. Bell. We started we started with Scrooge, we'll end with Bell. Actually, we started with Jacob Marley, I should say. All right, after a ton of brain work and deliberation, I think we have this wrapped up. So, I don't want to go to school. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to We're going to start off with Mrs. Cratchit. Yep, we okay. will. So for my Mrs. Cratchit, one of my all-time favorite actresses who I think can bring the exact right energy, I'm going to be casting Laura Linney. Ooh, yeah, she was in my she, she was in my wheelhouse too. I was thinking about Laura Linney a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking to, like her role as Abigail Adams in the John Adams HBO just what a dynamite and i think she plays that like kind of like overstressed harangued like housewife type of role in a period piece really well i almost cast her as my bell to be opposite my paul giamani as scrooge oh yeah gotcha i didn't do it i didn't do it we'll get to that to go with like a really young laura linney Uh, laura dern we're gonna talk about that that in a minute back of my mind i'm sorry what I also had Laura Dern in the back of my mind, but I settled on Laura Linney. I just think her feel was more what I'm looking for. Oh, some of the internet just got mad. We don't care. <laughs> Alrighty, that's pretty good there, John. That's yeah. pretty good. Who's uh, your Mrs. Cratchit going to be, James? Well, for those listeners who remember, I'm doing a more of a comedy uh, tint with mine. And I had Martin Freeman playing my Mr. Cratchit. So, t- and he's pretty comedic and pretty funny but he brings there somebody who i feel like could match him maya rudolph oh that's very good i like that a lot 
That's a very good casting choice. Maya Rudolph in a com- in like in a slight comedy twist to it, like she would own totally. I love that. Love like that. she, like she is kind of like Mrs. Piggy a little bit, like her energy, and that's what I love about this version. And we haven't even gotten to her yet. Like yeah. Maya, I think would bring it here. She could run that household. She could organize it. And this has been in and out of my head for a while, and I keep forgetting it, remembering it. But this is what I've always wanted for this part. I think yeah. Maya Rudolph as Mrs. Cratchit would be amazing. She did the mom from a Christmas story live a couple of years ago, and she pulled that off pretty well. So I'm really looking forward to this happening in my imagination. All right, John. That's pretty good. And John, yours is... All right, that's pretty good. We're one for one here. I feel I feel good for this. I feel yeah, we're good. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we got a two for we got Fred and Fred's wife, and I'm going to do mine together. Okay. Okay. So uh, I I waffled back and forth between two people, and I ultimately decided on this one. For my Fred, I'm going to be casting Joseph Gordon Levitt. Nice. Right. I nice. feel like against Robert Downey Jr., I feel like that would be a really good choice. Nice. The other one I had in my mind was Tom Hiddleston, but I I, I like. Joseph Gordon-Levitt a little bit better, I think, for the role. All it right. was kind of a tough call. Um, and then for his wife, so I wanted someone who this is like really tricky. I I wanted someone. Um, I, I feel like uh, I wanted someone uh, like of color for his wife. Like this is where I wanted to kind of have my like a little bit of progressiveness kind of like flow into my casting choices. I get you. Um, man. Uh, and I was trying to think of like an actress, like an up and comer, someone who I think could bring like, I feel like Scrooge's niece is like, um, can be a little bit sharp or can like kind of hold her own in a way. Um, so I, I landed on Natalie Emmanuel, who, um, she, for people who don't know her, she was featured in Game of Thrones. So she was, she was like the, the kind of servant character to, um, to the Khaleesi, to um, to Daenerys, um, in wh- was the that- one that was in love with Grey Worm, and I don't remember her character's name. No, but yeah, she was very good in that, and yeah, with better material because by the end of yeah. that oh, show, yeah. well, was not great we'll material. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's not spoilers. That's not the next project, but no, <laughs> no, thank you. But I, in the past couple of days, have gone through bouts of trying to correct the last four seasons of Game of Thrones. Like, what could you have done? Like, how would I have done it as a fan? Because I hear about how Wheel of Time ended well. And yeah. I, I get it. I get it. But, like, <laughs> but my point stands, like, who oh boy, they messed that show up. Anyway. Uh, yeah, not great. So who do you have for Fred and Fred's wife? All right. Well, get ready for a little accidental gimmick here. Because this was not planned in my head, but it happened, and it's now a gimmick. Well, this is a you gotta have a youthful relationship here. So, what better casting than Spider Man and Mary Jane, Tom Holland's and Emma Stone as oh, Fred and Fred's wife? I like that. Right? Like, how did how did your surrogate? How did like? There's a crossover. Like, I have the surrogate father, and you have the surrogate son in that dynamic right? with Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I I just like the way. I guess it's more how I relate to him. Maybe this is a little recency bias with just watching a Muppet. I like yeah. the I like Fred being young. I yeah. like Fred being really young. Yeah. And Tom can do young, but also be he's twenty and he can play twenty, right? Sure. Yeah. And Emma, Emma Stone, 
what she can do is she can really do the party game well. And she can have the yeah. same type of energy that I also, spoilers, I like from the Fred's wife in this scene, in this in this version we're getting up to. Like, I really like what she, I think she could do something similar to that that I would like to see here. But also have a, have a certain type of, like, sincerity with Tom. If Tom gets to have the Fred, I'm always going to try speech. Which I think he would do great on, and she sure. could put a hand on a shoulder or a, a glance from across the room, like that's why I love that man. Emma Stone could really knock that out the park, and I think I think she would be great in that role. Like it. All right. Well, that leaves us with our our final casting, which is Belle. Um, so for Belle, this was tough. I was trying to think of an actress who can like play period really well, who has kind of like a youthfulness and and like again that up and coming energy. Um, and I I I wanted it to be someone who's like known but not super well known um, just yet. So what I landed with, what I feel good about, is Phoebe Dynavor, who. Um, played the lead uh in Bridgerton that that kind of pseudo period series that was very popular on Netflix earlier this year um and I feel like she's like just the right age the right look the right feel um for my bell so that's what I've decided to go with nice and so in your mind is she playing opposite a young Scrooge or she playing against a Robert Downey Jr. age down a young Scrooge, that aging down stuff freaks me out. Well, I mean, I could see it too, but like, I think either way it would work. Well, in the magical hollow deck that is my casting of A Christmas Carol, get ready, friends, because there's some de-aging that's about to go down. Because You have a young Paul Giamatti? No, I would have a young Paul Giamatti because I want him to act opposite this actor because she's classic. She's yeah. royalty. She knows a lot about Belle. Because she acted opposite Belle when she was Mrs. Potts. Ladies and gentlemen, Angela Lansbury is my oh, Belle. Young Angela Lansbury. Okay. All if right. If you watch her in some of her comedy like hall National movies. National Velvet. Yeah. If she, when she was, she has such this energy with her as a young woman that I think she could be the type of person that drags out the humanity of Scrooge. And see, and she only she's only got a few scenes. And so she's going to have to communicate that with subtle but big things, you know, like one after another in like the span of like probably like a five minute sequence at best. Yeah. Who could do that? Angela Ansbury. I like it. I think that's like a really great kind of capstone for you. So that's our casting carols. Now, there may be ways that we come back to this in future episodes. We'll see how that goes. But um we hope you've enjoyed it. We're, we'll guess post lists of like everyone that we came up with over the course of the show to the Twitter feed. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Marley is dead pod. You can email us at Jacob Marley is dead at gmail.com. Look for Jacob Marley is dead on Facebook. All the usual places. Mm-hmm. I want to see a poster of this made. Okay, friends, we'll Please. put the list out there. Let's make it. Let's get some posters of which one would look better. You know, yeah. you've seen those Marvel Star Wars. Nobody knows how to make a movie poster poster anymore things do yeah, one of those everybody's for this. face yeah. everybody's yeah. face with a christmas tree behind it or something um uh it's christmas eve and we got uh festivities to get to so uh we want to thank a few people we want to thank milo newman obviously for our uh amazing cover art that served us well over the course of this year uh want to thank ben devries for our opening closing and interstitial music i'm gonna get uh i'll be really sad when i am no longer able to edit that into our podcasts 
Um, yeah, real quick, that has been. I, I don't know if we'll get a chance to say it again, but what an amazing score for this podcast. Um, just a natural fit, and I will again really miss that being a part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and thank you to you listeners who have stuck with us through this whole year. We got one episode left after this, and and then we'll be uh, putting us to bed for a while. So, uh, James, what can people do if they've enjoyed listening to us so far? Well, if they've enjoyed listening to this podcast, they could leave a five-star, 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 five-star review wherever they listen to their podcast. I don't get how the algorithm works. You don't get how the algorithm works. Nobody cares about the algorithm except for those who really care. But you care about us. We care about you. So please leave a five-star review. It helps us out and helps us spread this podcast to as many listeners as possible. And for those that have done it and written reviews over the lifespan of season one, thank you. Yeah, thank you a lot. Um, We read them. We do. We laugh at them. We we get the little jokes you're making. And it's like, yeah, that's, again, like, they're talking about you there, John. Oh, they're clearly talking about this jerk right here. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Tune in uh, next week. We'll be wrapping up our discussion of A Muppet Christmas Carol. And until then, and as we enter into kind of the end of this holiday season and, and march towards the new year, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.